really excited to be talking to Hope Bollinger today here at Ingame Press and our third guest of the day at the NRB convention. Yes. 2023. I don't know and if we're pointing to you, but it, well, it's okay. Because <laughs> it's, it's also under a moral tea thing. That is, so yes. we're very excited. Has a new book out, so hold it up for us, Hope. You got it. It is a beautiful Yay. cover. It's a country of their own. It must so. be so rewarding to like hold a cold, like oh, a copy is. in your hand. Oh, it's so fun. It's like the, one of the best parts of the process for sure. And this is the fascinating thing about it: is how many books have you written? Yeah, so I have 26 books out or will be out by 2025. What? So it's a little wild over here. Yep. You have wow. quite the uh, backlist. Indeed, yeah. indeed. <laughs> so, and 25 books. Yeah, so they, they're not all out yet. They will be out two wow. years from now, contracted and stuff. But yes, they're all pretty much written at this point, though, too. Wow. And this one, this one's selling really well, isn't it? I think so, yeah. yes. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. I hope I, so. We'll, we'll, we'll find out with just a little things. snippet of that, and then we want to get into some different more. Uh, you different got things. it. So this is a book actually all about listening to different generations and ageism and everything having to do with that topic. What it's about is two teens who are going to work at a nursing home over the summer. And the residents, despite being 80 or 90 years old, all look like teenagers. So it's all about evening the playing field, learning from different generations and listening to one another. So that is the premise of this book. Which is a, a really imaginative way to bring that in. Are, the main characters are the teenagers. They are. They are POV <laughs> characters. There's a little bit of a, they're trying to bring together this couple here in the, in the nursing home. So there's a little bit of a romantic element at play in the book as well. Um, and a little matchmaking. A little matchmaking going mm. on. Uh, <laughs> And so um, it's, it's really fun just because uh, we have like an old soul teenager, so she doesn't really like people her own age. And then we have someone who's more of a social media influencer. He doesn't really like people who aren't his age. So it's all about them learning that it's important to befriend and get to know people of different generations too. Was this written from personal experience in this area? I mean, I definitely... What inspired it? Yeah, I'd done some volunteer work at nursing homes, but what inspired it was a couple things. There was a photo series called Reflections of the Past, in which people who are older... Do you know what I'm talking yes, about? Yes! They look yeah. into the mirror and they see younger versions yes. of themselves. And I wanted to see what that would look like cinematically in book form. Wow. Um, Isn't that creative? That is so cool! I love that. Okay, so that was part of it. Part of it was also my grandma had passed away right before this book was written. She was a huge part of why went into publishing in the first place and so I wanted to have lots of Easter eggs of her life throughout oh, this book. So that's I kind of a tribute that. to her. Yeah. So I think it's interesting, well one, being close to grandmas, I understand that. Um, that you're doing this, you're honoring her, uh, but you're also honoring people in facilities, skilled nursing, whatever we call assisted living, whatever you want to call it. You're honoring them as people still of value, which our, mm -hmm. our society can say, yeah, right. you know, old, uh, young soul, old soul, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and write them off as ha having no longer any value voice. Yeah. And do you want to speak on that? Oh, yes. Yeah. Part of the research that went into this book was me investigating that because I had done some, you know, having 
been a volunteer many years back in high school at uh, nursing facilities. Part of it also had been I had interviewed a World War II veteran who had lived at one of those assisted living centers and he had talked a lot about how people somehow devalue people when they have aged into the age that he was. And so it was definitely a book that wanted to explore why we shouldn't do that, why we should value people at every single stage of their life, how every age is beautiful and wisdom is beautiful. That is so wow. lovely. Because I, I want to tell you just a quick story. I went to a, a school of nursing, and there's this sweet lady I see every time, and she's just really, really little and petite, but she's these big feet. And I, I, I understand because I have big feet, but she's always wearing different colored tennis shoes. So I'll stop her and I'll say, and I, I would just pass by and say, how are you doing? She wouldn't say anything. And then one day I stopped and I, I just looked at her and I went, oh, okay, I've got to do something. And I said, well, what can I pray for you for? And she looks back and she's looking really pensive. And I'm thinking, okay, is she still with me? You know, what is going on here? And she just looked at me and she blew me away. She goes, will you pray for beauty? And I wanted to say, what do you mean? But there's so much to ponder and learn. And we overlook people as insignificant, mm -hmm. because not just because of their age or where they are in life, or their, you know, your cover is beautiful, they're dancing. Yes. You know, yes. so are you a dance fanatic? So part of why they are dancing actually was my grandma had danced until she couldn't anymore. She was oh. part of a senior Follies group that every single year they would perform and she was a tap dancer. It. So Whoa. I wanted to incorporate that where my character who's kind of based on her gets is a dancer. She's a dance instructor um, and has done that up, up until retirement. Um, so I did do dance for a little bit, but dancing is a really big part because I think there's just something so very poetic about the idea of dancing yeah. through life, essentially. Mm -hmm. But what I, it's refreshing is you see people. It does not make, you're not saying, I can only see this age group. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You see in a very rich way. Well, I love that you've written about the idea of ageism, too. And with, have you experienced that? Because you're a younger author. We were having a conversation earlier and having some Eurekas because we're the same age. Oh, and yeah. So I'm curious, can you speak to that a little bit? Yes, yeah, so I'll try to keep it condensed because I do give like entire talks on this. Yes, I've experienced some very over ageism. Um, and I think a lot of times when people think ageism, they don't think the other end because obviously mm. I've met with lots of people who experience it on the opposite extreme. Yes. I have. I, I've run into it pretty much on every single step of the way. I've found that sometimes I have to quantify every single number of things that have been published, things that ha I have accomplished, number of internships, just to have a conversation, just to be allowed a seat at the table. I've had people assume mm. oh. things, um, yeah. people who mm. have looked at me, because I, I have a younger face, so some people just assume I'm like still in high school. Um, so yes, to condense it, yes I have. I, I think a lot of times when I experience it, it's a great learning opportunity for me to show people whatever preconceived notions you may have about people our age, we're not all like that. Um, and that we still also have something to bring to the conversation too. Wow, so do you find that on the opposite end of the spectrum, where have you seen that most? You said you volunteered in a nursing home. Is that what inspired you to work there or was it then working with the elderly as well that you saw that on the opposite end of the spectrum. I do see that. So I saw it definitely at the nursing level. Level I see it sometimes in the church too, where I've met with a lot of people who feel like they feel edged out yes. of certain groups because yep. people are trying to target, you know, young thirty-somethings right. who have kids. 
I've seen that. I've even seen it in publishing. I'm in, you know, the young adult category for most of my books, and I've seen people who are, you know, in their 70s, 80s, wanting to jump into that. And I've, I've heard younger editors say, well, what do you remember about that? What can you even say to this younger generation that they'll be able to take away? Um, and so I've seen it in publishing too, where people who are trying to break into younger categories or wanting to write from a teenage perspective are being edged out as well. So I, I've definitely seen it uh, in the work area, in church, and even in volunteer spaces too. That's amazing that you bring up church because yeah. I, you know I, I've been in a number because you know as the the war between traditional music and contemporary music, how to fit that all in um, with the sound tag. It, it can be really loud, and it's, it's very hurtful to older people's ears. Yeah. And, and I, I do think we, we forget in our drive to pull young people in that there is a different generation. And then the gen, older generation looks down at the younger generation, and it's not, it's patent. And I, I've seen this, I've heard this with somebody else that we know and love, you know, being patted on the head yeah. at a conference right. over and over again or touched right. more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, oh, yeah. And so how, how are you all handling this? Because this <laughs> is not right. I have seen it. I do not like it. You know, men coming up and just feeling like, oh, it's my granddaughter. I can mm -hmm. treat her like my granddaughter. What do you all do? How do you handle that? I, did, I just, I mean, I told my loved one just to walk away. Yeah. Um, strong boundaries, I think, are a strong sense of self-worth and self-respect. Mm. Think how you carry yourself is really important. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying if you dress a certain way, you're inviting something, but I do think you have to be very, you have to be very short, sweet, and to the point, and then mm. just establishing your, your emotional boundaries. Um, mm -hmm. I think walking away from certain situations, too. This is just my personal experience. Um, I'm an empath, so it can be a little harder. So I'm like, oh, what if I hurt someone's feelings yeah. and they don't actually mean anything? But at the end of the day, it's like, okay, I'm a woman. I'm not. I'm not someone's pet. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think yeah. it can depend on the context of the situation because sometimes yeah. I've been at events where I am the youngest person by far, yeah. and I yeah. know I'm representing an entire generation. So if I am rude to someone or if I come off a certain way, they're going to be like, everyone in your generation is just right. like this. So it's a balance you have to strike, like you mentioned, you're an empath. Uh, I, I mean, I never want to hurt someone's feelings, so I think a lot of times tone can be something that plays. I might uh, slightly drop my tone a little bit just to kind of convey something a little bit more mature. Sometimes dress will come into it. I know I'm dressed like a flower child, but a lot of times I'll have like more structured garments or something. I'll have my hair up, I'll try to do my makeup in a certain way where I may appear somewhat older. I've, I've had people even, I, I write for a Christian living site on occasion. I remember one time I gave them a headshot and they told me you can't send us this because we've had people complain that you're too young. You need to send us something where you look older. Wow. Um, and I did. I sent them, a, I, I do modeling so I had a shoot where I looked slightly older um, and so I sent them that shot and we never got complaints again for that. But I think it's a tricky balance because it really depends contextually where you are. But like you said, boundaries are important. It's important to say, okay, you can't pat me on the head. You can't call me cute. Yeah. You can't in a pitch session with me be like, oh, you could just be my granddaughter's age. Like, don't, don't do that. Um, but uh, it's hard. It's something I think we're figuring out. And there's not always a one-size-fits-all uh, answer to how to present yourself professionally while also taking ageist comments in stride, I guess. Right. It, it seems, and it's been a long time since I've been young, um, 
in a business setting, because you both are, you know, in a business setting, it seems doubly hard for you all. I, I, and I don't remember what it was like. I, well, no, I do. I remember being approached by one of my, when I was your age, and someone came up to me, did so-and-so say something to you because they said it to somebody else? And I'm like, no, no, because I would have hit him. <laughs> and I guess he knew that. Or, um, but how, how do you, how do you find that balance of standing, and at, at the same time being? I mean, some men will not back down. So what do we? Or you know, even women could treat you like a granddaughter. How, how do you do this? Or they can push. They feel like they can push the boundary more on you. Yeah. Uh, of, you know, no, 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 you really need to look at my, or you really need to give me an extra 30 minutes mm -hmm. in my, my session. Right. How do you do this? Well, isn't that the question? Yeah, yeah. that's the, I, I feel like it's, yeah, that's one that I'm still figuring out because when I see reality, it's adult to adult. And I, I get to that not everyone needs to come across in the way that they do. And it's not like that I'm deeply offended every single time. But I think it does suddenly put the, this weird higher power differential, especially if it's a client or someone oh, who yeah. you're engaging, you know, like whether it's a convention setting or um, in a smaller setting and almost like having to overprove like your worth. But mm -hmm. I think there's also something to be said about not having to prove your confidence and just you already know the, qual the quality of your work will speak for itself, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Um, and I think in the end, it's not about fix, for me, it's not about fixing or trying to convince someone. I think when you already know and have a sense of self-worth and self-respect mm -hmm. that some things you just, for me, I just have to brush off and not take it to heart. You know, if it opens a conversation, that's great. But and not having to list, okay, here's all my credentials and my resume uh, of adultness. Yes. And because a lot of people, I don't know if you're approached this way either, but for me, in certain settings or with certain people, they assume that youngsters are innately broke, as in financially broke. Mm -hmm. They're looking for, they'll take any and every odd job there is. Oh, just yeah. like, Money's like one of the biggest. Mm -hmm. And they're probably, a sense that, you know, someone older knows more, like that you're ignorant and oh, still yeah. figuring out life. Do you ever get that? All the time. I mean, when I had oh, left wow. college, I had over 10 jobs in the industry and people still were like, well, you're just inexperienced. I'm like, would you like to show me where on this resume I am inexperienced? I've had people explicitly say in interviews to an entire group of people, well, obviously Hope has no experience and I made sure to quantify immediately that experience. But I think what can be hard in regards to your question is in my line of work, I get pushed back all the time. I'll say this is the protocol. This is how we do things. I didn't even make up these rules, I'm just going based on what I'm being told. And they will push back, they will think like, well, you know, I can just kind of keep pushing until I get what I want. Mm -hmm. So the question in terms of how do you respond in those situations, how do you handle it, I think it's just constant boundary pushing, constantly reiterating because um, sometimes, and, and like you said, it can be doubly difficult if you are simultaneously young and a woman because you kind of get dinged on both accounts sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, you know, I think that some people can hear but not listen. And I think it's just gonna be years of work to even get there. But we do what we can, we educate in what ways we can, and we hope for the best. <laughs> Basically, well, it's really funny because a lot of times when people hear about this book, they're like, yes, the younger generation needs to learn this. And I'm like, we all need to learn this. Yeah, <laughs> for everyone who is making assumptions about different generations, 
um, that we all are young at heart, wise beyond our years, and need to hear from one another. Oh, that is so, so very good. What, out of all your books, what was the most difficult book to write? Definitely this one, actually. It was it was tough because I was dealing with grief. I wrote this thing in about two weeks, which at the time was the fastest I've written. You wrote this. No wonder you have twenty five books. That's like wow, whoa. Yeah, and like I've since beaten that record, but at the time I had never written that word count amount every single day. And just grappling with this issue, it was also right when the pandemic hit. So like all this stuff was happening at once. I was completely uncertain if I was even going to stay in publishing. If like that was still going to be a thing. So many houses went under. Um, so kind of writing through grief and spilling out as many words as I did was a lot. It was difficult to kind of just ta- tackle these topics in general. So I would say this to date probably was the toughest one to write through. Was it writing about um, the idea of ageism itself or was it the actual what part of it? What would you say was like the most difficult or even the timing of COVID? Yeah, I think it was the timing. I think we all felt a little burnt out around that time because we just were so uncertain of what the future held. I think the topic for sure, I had written this book in a way that I always try to challenge myself with each book doing something different. I'd never done a dual POV on my own. I'd never really written a book that, it's not a slower book, but it's slower paced than a lot of the ones I had previously done. So taking my time with the details, making sure that the symbolism was executed well. I think just wanting to get it right because it was for someone in my family. Um, I wanted to make sure to do her story justice. Wow. And so this is her in is that red dress specifically for her? It was. So I had actually, it's kind of on the back cover. I found a vintage dress. Yeah. Is that you? It is I me. I love that. You should check out her Instagram oh account. Oh my she gosh. She has the best pictures. You'll love it. Um, so I, I found a vintage dress, but I think it read because of symbolism. Both It's often associated with symbolism of love, but also pain. Mm-hmm. And how both are shown throughout the book. Every single person in the book goes through a lot of trauma in their past that they kind of have to unpack and work through together. So that pop of red there is just kind of an important role in the book as well. Wow. So, I mean, I know I had a blank moment where I was going, but with all the books you've written, what is your favorite? I get asked this a lot. I know, and and I'm sorry to be redundant. I have kind of a cop-out answer. So I can't pick because it's like choosing a favorite child. But I can say the ones I've had the most fun with are actually ones I've co-authored. So of the 26, I have seven that are with a co-author. And it's just fun because I I play tennis, and I love doubles more than singles. Oh, that is fun. Because it's so much fun to have a partner, someone to encourage you to take half the word count, to um, work on an idea together and come up with it together. There's just something really really fun about that so those are the ones I've had the most fun with I can't choose a favorite just because I love each one for different reasons and you're a team player I am yeah I, I love doubles doubles is so much fun because you get to hit, you know stay at the net yes the so net shots fun. are the best yeah. you get to aim at the feet and then apologize oh I'm so sorry for hitting your foot and getting that point you know and, but, but it's, it's a good point oh yeah it's yes. great <laughs> okay let me ask you this then because this is all the rage in our pickleball I haven't played it I, yet. I'm heard, afraid. I've Everyone goes, great. oh, you play tennis, you can play pickleball. And I'm like, this doesn't even it's make like sense It's like the hot thing at the Y. It's <laughs> the hottest thing out there. It and seems the really popular yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you haven't tried it? I haven't tried it. I know like there's like leagues and stuff in my area too, but I haven't yeah. given it a shot yet. Okay. So you, obviously, you're a, a literary agent. You're, you're an excellent editor. 
just a... Oh, literary... Oh, so she's a literary agent if you're... And a wow. writer. So, I mean, she wears so many hats. Yeah, so I money. used to be a literary agent. I'm not anymore, but oh, I can't okay. talk about that side of the industry okay. for sure. But, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I thought... No. I saw. You're totally fine. When I transferred to Endgame, I figured it was somewhat of a conflict of interest, yeah. so I ended up uh, turning that down. But, but I have been in it for three yeah. years. Yeah. And so... Right now, you're you're acting. Just give us some of your job yeah. descriptions because it's interesting to hear about publishing. And you what, got what it. Yeah. So at Endgame, I'm a, the managing acquisitions editor. So essentially, what that means it means a number of things. It means that every single book has like 30 something steps it has to go through, and I'm in charge of making sure it's hitting every single one of those deadlines for every single book that we take on. So coordinating with freelancers, coordinating with editors, making sure that we are sticking to that schedule. I do edit every single book that comes through. So one of those rounds of edits I will be on, usually that first round. And then acquisitions editor, so part of the team, so I'm not the only one who makes this decision, but we'll go through a lot of our submissions and decide which ones are the best fit for what we're trying to do at Endgame 2. Okay. Okay, wow. as somebody who's who went through your editing, which was beautiful, I look forward to editing. I think it's the best thing. And everything you said was so on point, and it, it made it such a far, far better book. Um, and I really do appreciate that. So I, I realize you probably get pushback from a lot of things. My, my thing is I do apologize because I wasn't sure how do you click it all. Yes. Oh, no, you're but, totally fine. No, no, no. So who edited your book? Yeah, so we had uh, three different editors on this thing, or maybe it may you have been four. You don't have to name names, but um, I was just curious. Yes, okay. I will say I really loved the content editor on this. Yeah. She does a really, really good job uh, with books because she's really good at seeing what the author's trying to do and getting you there. So, uh, and I appreciate all the editors on this project. They all did a really wonderful job. Um, but I agree, I, I really appreciate that you, um, really enjoy the process of editing and you were you were really receptive to feedback because we do get a lot of pushback sometimes where people say well it's my baby like I don't want to no. don't want to make these edits and we really are on the side of the authors we're trying to make sure that we get the best book possible out there so you can have the best chance uh, to have the best foot forward in the market marketplace. No it totally makes a, a better book I don't know why people are so resistant. Well, are because you can't see the scope and you won't see the big picture when you're editing. How did and you start? Oh, no, sorry, go ahead. ahead. No, no, I was gonna say, how did you start uh, writing as well? Like, what got you into that? This I know we have just a few minutes left, but I wanted yeah. to at least touch on that. Yeah, no, this is a great question. So, thought for the longest time I was supposed to be a teacher, learned I couldn't teach. So, I had a friend <laughs> in high school who wrote books. And in the spirit of friendly competition, decided, well, you know, why don't I give this a try? And I fell absolutely in love with it. I couldn't stop. And then in high school, I discovered that it's really, really tough to get into publishing. So I figured if I can sneak in, you know, learn everything that there is to know about publishing, I could sneak myself in first and then sneak other people in afterwards. So that was the goal I set out to do. I didn't think it would happen this fast. But uh, by the time I graduated college, I had that first book contract, and then three years later, managed to land the job at Endgame, where I was wow. able to help sneak people into the industry, essentially. Wow, oh, that is so exciting. So why don't you ask Hope the burning... Our burning question. Okay, so we've asked every single guest in our living room at NRB this question, but if you could ask one question to, like everyone here or the world or just a certain demographic in general what would it be there's no right or wrong answer okay. 
Um, what story do you think needs to be told right now? Man. Would be the one. <gasps> because that's that's a question we like to ask a lot of times when we're at these conventions, because we'll meet with a lot of librarians and booksellers and parents, and we'll say, what are you not seeing right now that you really need to see? What are some stories that need to be told? And everyone always has an answer. Um, because, you know, as writers, obviously we have the stories on our heart, but we want to make sure that we are meeting needs of people, that we are helping people. Um, and what's been really cool with with the Endgame booth is that we are seeing that a lot of the books are meeting those needs. We have books on grief, we have books on uh, fear, on ageism, on different things that affect people differently. I would just always have a heart for people who are feeling unheard or unseen. And so getting those stories out, I think, uh, is something I have a passion for. You are such an encourager. Too. You are. So I, I would be working around the booth, and she just I, I also know the way. She goes, "Hey, Renee," and she said something, and I was looking at her. I was like, I needed to hear that. So you really have a way of encouraging and knowing what people need to hear. Um, so we want to encourage you and to keep going. We look forward to that hundredth title. Yes. <laughs> Next year. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> And, and it's such a beautiful book, so yes. we just pray that it uh, it just reaches so many people. And we just thank you for this. Yeah, thank yes. you. And thanks for having me on here. Uh, I know you all have been really, really having a lot of great conversations, so I appreciate that. I'm included in one of those. Oh, sure. no, we wanted to. Like the like I said, when Renee even briefly mentioned something, I'm sure I'm like, I want to talk. I relate. <laughs> like, it's so relatable, too. Yeah. You know, it's, I think, our age bracket, um, is one or just even the idea of like ageism is something and on both ends of the spectrum mm -hmm. it's not really I mean it's talked about but because there are so many like preconceived notions it's right. nice to see something like a, a, even a book like this that's actually geared to open people's eyes oh, to yeah. it but on both ends of the spectrum yeah. it's great. Well, we thank you so much and there we <laughs> are